Hey, I'm David Crabtree, lead pastor at Calvary Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope you'll find something every week that inspires you to dig deeply into God's Word and reach for the unmet potentials that lie within you. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and never miss an update. Hope you enjoy the message. See a few faces that aren't familiar to me. Welcome. Glad you're here tonight. If you don't know me, I'm David Crabtree, the lead pastor here at Calvary, and one of my greatest joys in pastoral ministry is teaching a Wednesday night Bible study. I was talking to somebody the other night um, and saying for my ministry life now, which is I guess I'm in my 39th, in my 39th pastoral year, I have never known, I've never known uh, life apart from the preparation of a Wednesday night Bible study somewhere in books of the Bible. And so for me, it's, it's a thrill, and especially to, be, especially to be teaching from a book that I have never taught before. So in Judges, I'm having a, I'm having a lot of fun with that. I hope it's, I hope it's helpful to you. Uh, we're dealing with some history tonight, but we're also dealing with some spiritual principles from the ninth chapter of Judges. I'm going to try and eat up the whole chapter tonight, if God will just give us, uh, give us the grace for that. Have you ever heard, you reap... You obviously have. Is there anyone here, first time you've ever grappled with that biblical truth, and it's, it's just a fresh revelation for you? Well, we're going to look at the Old Testament, one of the Old Testament versions of a New Testament truth. You reap what you sow. We're going to be looking at the story of Abimelech from the ninth chapter of, uh, of Judges. Following the death of Gideon who had reverted to the idolatrous ways of his father in his later life, we come upon a scene of utter chaos. Remember, with the judges, from the beginning of the judges all the way to the end, we're dealing with the downward spiral. And you have to realize that hero after hero after hero has a, <laughs> a worse and a worse and a worse and a worse character. If you understand that, by the time you get to Samson, you can look at it. Everything Samson does, everything Samson is, and says, well, this kind of is the end of the moral scale here. They have fallen a long way from the first of the judges until you get all the way to Samson. But we are, we're well at the halfway point, and Gideon, has, Gideon, although he does so well, falls completely off the wagon. Israel resorts somewhat to idolatry and chaos. When Gideon dies, having kept the nation safe for a number of years, just the reputation Gideon had been able to drive out the Midianites, and as long as Gideon was alive, no one wanted to take on Gideon. Now Gideon is gone, and it was Aristotle who said, nature, nature abhors a vacuum. And this is what you have in Israel now. There's a vacuum, and a character named Abimelech steps in to fill it. Abimelech's name is, my father is king. These names, we, we're not sure that these, often in life, they would carry more than one name. And so in the scripture someplace, you'll, you'll bounce up against several different names for the same character. We know that Gideon was Gideon for most of his life, and then when he tore down his father's uh, altar to Baal, they called him Jeroboam, or uh, Baal will contend. And so some would call him, yo, Gideon, how you doing? Some would say Jeroboam, and and then there are others in the scripture, there are a number of names that they go by, and sometimes those names were, you know, were contemporary names that they lived with, but sometimes those names were also 
imported to them at different stages and places in their lives. And you have to wonder about this Abimelech character being the son of a concubine. Remember, Gideon has 70 sons by all of his wives. And then he has this concubine in Shechem and he has a son by her. And uh, while they have legal standing within the culture, uh, they're still considered to be lesser, lesser sons. They don't get a full inheritance and all of that. Abimelech uh, goes by the name, my father is king. I think that happened after Gideon won the battle and, Jer- and, uh, and then Abimelech starts strutting around like he's somebody. He's obviously an outcast. He's living in Shechem with his concubine mother's family while Gideon and his family with his 70 sons live in Op- uh, Orpah. And so you've got this son, uh, who is not illegitimate in the eyes of the law, but he, neither is he the son of a full wife. He's the son of a concubine. We talked about some of that last week, so I won't open that can of worms again. Just, uh, by the way, uh, having a concubine is a very bad idea for, for everyone in the room here tonight. So it just, it, I do want, it, in case there was any, it's really a very bad idea. I wouldn't recommend it at all. Judges, we start in chapter nine, verses one through six. <laughs> Carrie, would you, you'd kill David if he had a concubine. Okay, yeah, I don't know. There's, there was a moment of doubt on your face there, so I just wanted to clear that up. Judges 9. Now Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, that's Gideon, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you? that all 70 of the sons of Jeroboam rule over you or that one rule over you. Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. And also, and let me just throw parenthetically, also remember, boys, I've changed my name to my daddy is king. Verse three, and his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem. And their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he's our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of, of Baal Berith. Now, Baal Berith is, um, Baal makes covenant is the, is the idea here. The people who were supposed to be living under covenant with God had shaped their covenant with Baal. So they're idolaters. Some of them may be Canaanites, some of them may be Jews, because this was, a, this was a split area. Canaanites and Jews lived right alongside one another. And so all of them came together, and they, they hired with 70 pieces of silver worthless and reckless fellows who followed after Abimelech. And he went to his father's house at Oprah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jeroboam, 70 men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left, for he hid himself, and all the leaders of Shechem came together, and at Beth, uh, and all Beth Milo, which is a very close neighboring community, uh, which has a stronghold in it, was very close to Shechem. So they all come together, and they went and they made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. This oak at the pillar... In the scripture, when it talks about these places, it's simply denoting geographic places that people will understand if they're living in those communities. So down by the oak tree at Shechem, they make him king. First here, 
We are not studying, from here on out, we are not studying a judge. We are following the Gideon story to the end. Abimelech is not a judge. He's a pretender king, we're going to see here in a minute. But he is, he's not one of the judges. And so this is just the extension of and the finishing up of the Gideon story. He's the son of a concubine. She is from Ephraim, the tribe of Ephraim. And so on the map, you can, uh, you can see it. We pointed it out last week. Here's Ephraim. Jerusalem is, is down here about where my fist is. 30 miles north, you have Shechem. It's right in the, there's, there are cuts all the way through here. Mount Gerizim is right here. Mount Ebal is here. And so it's in a, it's in a valley. I'll show you in a minute. But then up there near uh, Oprah, this is where we think, as best we can guess, this is where Oprah was. That's within the tribe of actually of Manasseh. And so you've got the Ephraimites down here and they're loyal to this half-son, and then you've got, up in Oprah, you've got all of Gideon's 70 sons. And so, you see, he has to travel a distance with his 70 paid mercenaries uh, to go up and, and uh, do the awful deed. Abimelech shows up at his mother's household. He's not part of the 70 sons of, of Gideon. And so they head north to Manasseh. Now, remember also, if you remember in the study, we talked about a conflict that Gideon had when he won the battle, and he won the battle with 300, remember? And he sent a whole bunch of people back, and some of the tribes of Israel weren't even invited to come and fight with him. Because he was just, he was acting in the moment, and he was obeying the Lord, and God was giving him great victory. The Ephraimites down here, they got pretty offended. Because the battle had taken place, first of all, up in this area, and then all the way down through this, down through the Jordan River Valley. And so they were kind of out of the play altogether, and they got upset. Remember? The Ephraimites were upset with Gideon. Hey, how come you didn't give us a piece of the fight? Well, in the mop-up action that followed, the Ephraimites did take care of a couple of the, uh, the top-level kings of the Midianites. And so Gideon kind of assaged that whole situation by saying, hey, you killed the big boys. You guys did some heavy lifting too. And everybody said, well, okay. And they kind of left it there. But you wonder, but you wonder if some bitterness continued be between Ephraim and Manasseh. Obviously, obviously they weren't close. Every other leader in Judges is called by God without seeking the role. We know that Abimelech is not a judge because he's not called by God. And he does seek the role. He wants to be the leader. And so he grasps, he grasps for it. 30 miles north of Jerusalem, Shechem 15 miles west of the Jordan, about 20 miles from, from Oprah. That's the geography of the situation. This is the heartland of, even to this day, it's the heartland of Israel. Shechem, by the way, is, thanks for putting that up. Your timing's perfect. This is modern day Shechem. You know it in the news as Nablus. It's 30 miles, about 30 miles from Jerusalem. It is totally Palestinian held today. And so stop and think about it for a moment. Whenever you're looking at the Palestinian situation in Israel, imagine what it was like if we had people who wanted to throw missiles over, kill us, bomb us. If you had these two opposing forces, Greensboro and Winston-Salem, that's exactly what you have here. They are 30 miles from Jerusalem. And this today, this area today is all, this would, this would completely be uh, Palestinian 
This is Mount Gerizim, the, old, the ruins of the temple of the Samaritans on Gerizim. You can just see that little white patch up there. If the picture had been bigger, you would have seen off to the left. There's a little bit more of it, but uh, this was the best picture that I could find. But this is Mount Gerizim, and then this is Mount Ebal over here on this side. Somewhere down in here, there was one day an oak tree. And when this was a tribal village, that's where all of this takes place. So just kind of gives you a, a shot of, of where it was, what it was about, and uh, gives you a little bit of, of geography. It was here, by the way, that Abraham first built an altar to God when he arrived in Canaan. Shechem's a very important place in the scripture. Jacob had dealings in Shechem. Here too, Joshua had called all the tribes together for, a, for a, a great covenant renewal ceremony when Joshua brought the children of Israel into the land here at Shechem. It had been a place that was a jumping off point for many a conquest, and it lay on the southern end of the valley that separates Gerizim and Ebal. It's a place of huge significance in the Old Testament. So Gideon dies, there's no successor, and Abimelech makes his pitch. He approaches his countrymen. I'm your brother. Wouldn't you rather have me rule over you than the 70 sons of Gideon? Because we know that blood is thicker than water, right? Okay. If you have heard that, let me just go back to you reap what you sow. Let's try the next part. Blood is thicker than... Okay, I just want to make sure you're with me here. Blood is also thicker than wisdom. Often often. How much fighting would go away if tribalism wasn't so strong in the world? Taking care of my tribe, taking care of my clan. You're not going to offend my brother that way. I'm not letting anybody diss, diss my people. You know, we, we get so caught up, we lose track of wisdom. And generally the end of it is, is bloodshed. And so the men of Shechem who, portrayed, uh, who are portrayed in the text as being idolatrous people, they know that they're going to come under pressure from those sons, those 70 sons of Gideon up to the north. Their daddy's gone now, and so they, they just have a sense of insecurity about what the 70 sons are going to do. Obviously, they're a force to be reckoned with, and so they decide that Abimelech is their man, and they finance him. How is, how is, his, how is his little um, mercenary... Uh, commando operation funded here it's funded out of an idolatrous temple don't miss that where did the money come from it came from the temple of Baal and so 70 pieces of silver hmm. 70 sons of Gideon hmm. makes you wonder that those mercenaries possibly were all hired for one or two pieces of silver because 30 armed men against 70 unarmed men 30 men going into battle who know they're going into battle against 70 men who think they're going to a barbecue. It's, uh, it's no contest. So whether it was one piece of silver or two pieces of silver, uh, buying the mercenaries for the price, the scripture says it was 70 pieces of silver. There were 70 sons of Gideon. Um, makes you wonder how many, how many men he had, obviously enough. The 70 sons of Gideon for them to be so quietly gathered, we have to imagine that they were gathered together possibly to consider what they would do now at the death of their father. Possibly they were gathered together for some type of a celebration. 
Um, maybe they were gathered together, um, you know, for, for something that appears on the calendar, but obviously Abimelech knew that their defenses were down. They weren't prepared for war. They weren't, they weren't looking for any kind of attack. They're just the 70 sons that have gathered together and they're going to decide what they're going to decide when they are ambushed by this commando unit, armed and prepared, and the slaughter was complete, except for one son. The son is named Jothan, and he escapes. This is the first biblical mention of a practice that is quite common in the, in the Orient, and indeed it became even more common even in Israel with the successions to the throne, this idea that you kill off your rivals. In all of the nations around Israel, this was very common. You remember Herod? Herod murdered a, a bunch of people in his family, men and women. He found the women to be just as dangerous as the men, and, and uh, he just took them out left and right. He had no conscience about uh, killing sons, sons and uncles and, and wives and former wives. He was, he was pretty brutal. In that entire region, when you wanted to retain power, if you felt threatened by someone, you, you just took them out. By the way, this sounds to me very much like a political primary. Tonight in Vegas, I think the Dems are all out there on a stage in, in Las Vegas de debating one another. I don't know if it's five or seven of them or whatever, but they're all out there doing their thing. And, and I, I can tell you, I can read from my Bible exactly what they want to do. They want to Abimelech one another. <laughs> they do. They want, to, they want to take out their rivals. I guess Bloomberg, Bloomberg's the latest one to step into their race. And so you better believe Bernie and the guys are going to have the, the long knives out tonight. And they're going, to be, they're going to be looking to do whatever damage they can do tonight to take out or to weaken, to weaken their rivals. And so we look at the Old Testament and we say, man, that is brutal stuff. All I have to do is look at CNN and say, man, that is brutal stuff. <laughs> Abimelech murdered his brothers. He kills what Gideon saved. God raises Gideon up to save the children of Israel and Abimelech, who is a Shechemite from Ephraim. He rises up and he kills uh, the sons of Abraham. Gideon refused the offer of kingship. Abimelech seizes it. He's declared king by his own clan near Shechem. So in effect, he is the king of, he is the only king, the only ruler among the tribes of Israel, but he was never really the king of Israel. People in the region looked to him, but at best, he was a regional king, a city king, not much more than that. Because Israel had no king. And whenever Israel records her royal line, whenever Israel records the royal line, they'll start telling the story at Saul, not Abimelech. He does not appear. He does not appear on the radar screen of their history anywhere as a legitimate king. So he's nowhere celebrated either. He's considered to be a tyrant. So let's go back to the text. In Judges 9, 7, when it was told to Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and cried aloud and said to them. It was really a pretty good, it really was a pretty good strategy for him to um, position himself up on the mountain at Gerizim. The sound in a valley like that would carry 
And of course, once he got their attention, everybody was still and everybody was silent. He was enough distance away to where they couldn't charge him, they couldn't catch him. And if you can run up over the top of the mountain, you can disappear in so many different ways. Jotham, Jotham had his escape plan uh, all put together, but he had this opportunity to shout and then address all of the people. He cried aloud and said, listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. And now he offers an Old Testament parable. He said, the trees went out to anoint a king over them. And they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said, shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? The trees said to the vine, you come and reign over us. But the vine said, shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble. This is the thistle. It's a thorn bush. You come reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now, therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you have dwelt or you have dealt well with Jeroboam and his house, or have done to him as his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hands of Midian. And you have risen up against my father's house this day and have killed his son, 70 men on one stone, and have made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the leaders of Shechem, because he's your relative. If you then have acted in good faith and integrity with Jeroboam and with his house to this day, then rejoice in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, now let's pause for a moment. Just a moment ago said, you know, if let fire come out of Abimelech and devour even the cedars of Lebanon. That's one side of the equation. Now he says, but if not, let fire come out of Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo and let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. This is a prophetic parable. Jotham was the youngest son of Gideon, the only one to escape from Abimelech. Jotham spoils Abimelech's great moment. He's being anointed to be king. And Jotham stands up on the hill and just goes, hey! Messes up the whole thing. And then utters this, prophetic parable that's kind of ominous, isn't it? I mean, the kingmakers are all assembled at the oak of the pillar and they're going to make, they're gonna, they're gonna make this, this meeting a success in, in Shechem. And now there's this dark prophecy. Jotham is recognized, by the way, nowhere in the scripture as a prophet of God, but perhaps he was God-fearing. He was certainly used of God in this hour. The parable of the trees is built around three trees of great value in Israel and a scrubby bush of no value whatsoever. That's how the parable, that's how the parable works. And so you've got 
three noble trees. And Jotham, when he lays the parable out, says, they were trying to decide who was going to be king, and there were several that were noble, and they didn't want it. And so the bramble, the bush, the scrub, he's, he's the one who's risen up. In the ugly 1994 campaign for the governor uh, of Texas, you might remember the brash incumbent uh, Governor Ann Richards called the upstart George Bush by the derogatory name Shrub. Nothing changes. Politics is the same as it was all the way back in the Old Testament here. Even look at the parable. You got a shrub. He's not a tree. He's a shrub. That was the insult. And then, by the way, she ended up getting beaten 53 to 45% in the, in the election. Didn't work very well. Looks like Jotham is going down the same line. He says, in effect, it looks to me like you've chosen a shrub to rule over the great trees of Israel. The parable points out the inferior nature of Abimelech's character and probably even the circumstances of his birth. The olive, the fig, and the grape are polled as to who would be king. They all refuse, owing to the fact that they have something of value that they produce. That's at the very core of their, addiction, at their, of their existence. The bramble doesn't produce anything. But the trees say to the bramble, you rule over us. Shechem was a mixed city, Jews and Canaanites, and the elders of the city would have included a few, possibly a few God-fearers, maybe, but mostly idolaters. So Jotham points out that shockingly, even the true sons of Abraham have asked, some of them, Abraham's own sons, have asked Abimelech, the shrub, to be their king. And verse 15, if the, and the bramble said to the trees, if in good faith you are anointing me to be king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now remember, we're dealing with parables, so you've got to step into the story to unpack it. Being men of their time, the Shechemites would have seen Jothan's parody quite clearly. You see, for the, the, the vine and for the olive and, uh, and what was the first one? And the, fig, the second one was fig. For these trees to hide in the shade of the bramble, those trees would have to be shrunken. They would have to make themselves small. They would really have to lower themselves. Jothan is saying, look at who you've crawled into bed with. Abimelech says, serve me, or fire will come out of the bramble and devour even the cedars of Lebanon. Jothan was saying, this guy is dangerous. He's dangerous, and fire's going to come out of him. Then Jotham says to the men of, of Shechem, if you've dealt with Gideon's household with integrity by making Abimelech king, throw a big party and celebrate good. But if not, let fire come out from the men of Shechem and Beth Milo, the plotters, and devour Abimelech. 
Of course, neither Abimelech nor the city elders had acted in good faith. And so what is Jotham saying in this whole parable? He's saying, you guys deserve one another. And you're going to devour one another. People get lost in this little parable, but it's, it's that simple. Abimelech, fire is going to come out of you, and it's going to devour these Shechemites. And Shechemites... Fire's going to come out of you and it's going to devour Abimelech. What is Jothan saying? My father will ultimately be vindicated. There will be justice because what you reap, or what you sow, you reap. Behind this is the image of the 70 sons of Gideon slain, unarmed. And now Jothan is saying, because when he sets it up, he's saying, if there's been any integrity. Well, there hasn't been any integrity. So if there hasn't been integrity, he says, it's going to be a fire show and you're going to devour one another. And so it goes. So it goes. Abimelech ruled over Israel three years and God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem and the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. Second place in scripture that we have this disturbing, an evil spirit from the Lord. I've seen people just turn themselves in pretzels trying to get around this. Do you want to know what it means? It means that God allowed an evil spirit, even dispatched under his absolute authority, an evil spirit to make a mess of this unholy alliance. The Bible says that He's a God who rides the dark clouds and chariots. The God Isaiah says who can cause calamity. My theology has no problem whatsoever with God who in the book of Job, you see uh, Satan having to make his appearance before God and there's this conversation and God says you can go this far and you can go no further. What, what's happened here? Well, you know, uh, this guy has given himself over to evil, and so God says, okay, you've given yourself over to evil. I'm, I'm going to withdraw my hand and just allow evil to take its course. Can you imagine what would happen if, if, the, if, if God gave the enemy complete freedom to do whatever he wanted over us or anyone else? We, we look at what happened to Job, and we go... Bruh, bruh, bruh. I mean, you, look at, you look at that whole story and it'd make you quake just a little bit. But in this situation, there is no evil in the Lord. So it's not saying that God has an evil spirit that he sent out. It simply means that God allowed a satanic power to go to work to bring justice you know, in this treacherous circumstance and situation. You don't see this often in the scripture. You know where it appears the other time? Evil spirit from the Lord. Do you remember that somewhere else? Saul, Saul, as he walked further and further from the Lord, had forgotten the Lord and God rejected him as, as king and his life became utter torment. And so it's a, a pretty fearsome thing. It's an allowance. God makes an, an allowance and the enemy steps right into that, steps right into that gap. So let's see what happens in the, in the rest of the story if you'll... Give me just a moment because I got kind of uh, 
all caught up in chasing after Lindsay's wreck and didn't load the rest of, of the uh, text. So, nine. So let's pick up at 22. We're gonna read through it. It's, it won't be on the screen. Uh, I lost my opportunity to, to upload it all. Abimelech ruled over Israel three years and God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem and the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jeroboam might come and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother who killed them and on the men of Shechem who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops and they robbed all who passed by them along the way and it was told to Abimelech. So what's happened? The very guys who gave Abimelech the money to go kill his brothers have a falling out with Abimelech and now the men of Shechem are saying, we're going to do what we want. Sending the robbers up, they've basically just gone up to the highway. It used to be called the King's Highway. The highway that ran along the ridge of Israel that took you all the way from Jerusalem up into the Jezreel Valley. They basically went up. They didn't build a toll booth, but they allowed robbers to go up there and just clean up on people who were going from, from north to south on that inland route. And so they said, we don't care what Abimelech says. We're going to, you know, we're going to do our own thing. And so now Abimelech and the Shechemites, who were once allies, are at each other's throats. Remember what we said just a moment ago, what the evil spirit from the Lord was going to allow? Fire to come out of Abimelech and fire to come out of the Shechemites and they would ultimately destroy one another? Well, it gets a little bit more complex. And Gal, the son of Ebed, he's a Canaanite. He's not one of the children of Israel. Moved into Shechem with his relatives and the leaders of Shechem put confidence in him. These leaders of Shechem can't decide which horse to ride. They had chosen Abimelech, and after three years, they were frustrated with Abimelech, and as they're trying to pull away from Abimelech, and they're wreaking havoc in their own area, making money on people who are going, traversing the area, this other guy moves in, this Canaanite moves in, and the people of Shechem say, you're a strong man, we'll follow you. And they went out in the field and gathered the grapes from their vineyards and trod them and held a festival, went into the house of their God and ate and drank and reviled Abimelech. And Gal, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech? And who are we of Shechem that we should serve him? Now, Gal wasn't even from Shechem. But we had a drunken party going. People say all kinds of stuff. Right? And Gal, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech? And who are we of Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jeroboam? And is not Zebul his officer? Serve the men of uh, Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem, but why should we serve him? Would that his people were under my hand, I would remove Abimelech. I would say to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. So now the newcomer to Shechem, he's talking big. He's saying, let's just send a message and tell him to come down and fight. Me and the boys will take care of him. When Zebul, who's the ruler of the city, that's Shechem, when he heard the words of Gal, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled. Wait a minute. Zebul here, he is at odds with Abimelech 
That separation has already taken place. But when this Gaal character moves into town and starts talking big, he says, we had it better under Abimelech. And so he switches horses again. When Zebel, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gaal, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled. He sent messengers to Abimelech secretly saying, Behold, Gaal, the, Gaal, the son of Ebed and his relatives have come to Shechem. They're stirring up the city against you. Now, therefore, go by night, you and the people who are with you, and set an ambush in the field. Then in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are, are with you come out against you, you may do to them as your hand finds to do. Zebel's playing both sides here. So Abimelech and all his men who were with him rose up by night and set an ambush against Shechem in four companies. And Gael, the son of Ebed, went out and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city. And Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from the ambush. And when Gael saw the people, he said to Zebel, at the gate, they're at the gate of the city now, look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. And Zebel said to him, ah, you mistake. The shadows of the mountain for men. You see what's happening here? You know, the big mouth has just moved into town, turns to the ruler of the city that's now switched horses again, and he says, I think that those are, I think those guys are advancing against us. And he says, ah, your eyes are playing tricks with you. It's just the, it's just the shadows in the mountain. Don't worry about it. Gail spoke again and said, look, people are coming down from the center of the land. One company is coming from the direction of the diviner's oak. Then Zebel said to him, now wait, What's happened is now the ambush has advanced upon the city to such, uh, to such a place that Big Mouth is in trouble now. He hasn't got his troops where they need to be. They're not outside the city. They're not in fighting form. They're, they're really not ready. And the enemy has advanced so far. Now he's in trouble. Zebel knows it. He knows it. And Zebel says, where is your mouth now? You who said, who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despised? Go out now and fight with them. And Gal, Gal went, out by the, uh, went out at the head of the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him and he fled before him. Many fell wounded up to the entrance of the, of the gate. And Abimelech lived at Urma and Zebel drove out Gal and his relatives so they could not dwell in Shechem. So on that first day, you know, the... the uh, the big mouth guy that's moved in, he's been pretty much dealt with, but now it goes on. Remember it said fire was gonna come out of Shechem and devour Abimelech and fire would come out of Abimelech and devour Shechem. On the following day, the people went out into the field and Abimelech was told and he decides to go back and finish the job. He took his people, divided them into three companies, set an ambush in the fields and he looked and saw the people, these would be Shechemites, coming out of the city. He rose against them and killed them. Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward, stood at the gate, at the entrance of the gate of the city, while the two companies rushed upon all who were in the field and killed them. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day, captured the city, killed the people who were in it, raised the city and sowed it with salt. This is basically a, a symbolic act saying nothing will ever be built here again. When all the leaders of the tower of Shechem heard of it, they entered the stronghold of the house of El Berith. Now, what's going on here? The leaders of the city see Shechem is falling. 
Big Mouth is gone. He's been dealt with. He's history. And now Abimelech has come back. We wanted him to drive off, off the, the bad boy, but now Abimelech, Abimelech has come back and he's going to want his pound of flesh. So they take to the tower. The leaders take to the tower, but it's the tower that's been built to the god Baal. And so they run to the stronghold of Baal, thinking that they'll be safe there. Abimelech was told that the leaders of the tower of Shechem were gathered together, and Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman. He and all the people who were with him, Abimelech took an axe in his hand, cut down a bundle of brushwood, and took it with him and laid it on his shoulder, said to the men who were with him, what you have seen me do, hurry and do as I have done. So every one of the people cut his bundle and followed Abimelech, put it against the stronghold, and they set the stronghold on fire uh, over them so that all the people in the tower of Shechem also died, about a thousand men and women. Fire will come out of Abimelech and devour Shechem. Then Abimelech went to Thebes and encamped against Thebes and captured it. Now it's a mop-up operation. There was a strong tower within the city and all the men and women and the leaders of that city fled to it and shut themselves in and they went up on the roof of the tower and Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire and a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. An upper millstone is a stone that's about this big. It's got a little square hole in the middle where it fits on a, on a pestle where they can turn it. But an upper millstone, you know, the millstones can be like this big, but the upper millstone's about, about this big. And so uh, a woman's at the top of the tower. She sees Abimelech down there. He's getting ready to set fire to the tower and she drops a rock on his head. That's what happened. Certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. When he, and then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, draw your sword and kill me, lest they say. And by the way, this is a scripture every man in this room should memorize. <laughs> draw your sword and kill me, lest they say to me, a woman killed him. <laughs> and the young man thrust him through and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he had committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. That's where the story, that's where the story winds up. That's where it ends for um, that's where it ends for the whole saga of Gideon, the judge Gideon. But the Abimelech story is this powerful lesson that says, be careful how you live. Be careful about your alliances and your allegiances. And if you're not going to walk in integrity, we live in a world, an evil world, where we will utterly devour one another. If you look at the history of the world and you wonder, why is it that we can't stay out of war? If we're such highly evolved creatures, if we've really risen up through all of these years to achieve something, why is it that we are coming, we have just come out of the most bloody century the world has ever known and there is no abating 
the, sh- the bloodshed. There, there's, no, there, there's no putting an end to it in sight. Why is it, why is it that we devour one another? When we look to the judges, we see a very, very clear truth where God is truly not king. There is no peace. Can't have peace without the Prince of Peace. Ultimately, men will turn on one another and devour one another. You look around the world and you say, we just seem to be getting more and more hostile. Whatever happened to civility will not happen. It will not happen unless we are living under the rule of a righteous king. It's the fallen nature of man to pull out the Abimelech card. And fire goes out from one and devours the other. And fire goes out from another and devours the other. And it's exhausting. And it just will not cease. I don't know about you. I am looking forward to that day And it's a day in my future. It's guaranteed for me. I'm going to see it where men will study war no more. Amen. Where the righteousness of Christ rules and reigns. Amen.